before we begin then. Let's all take a moment to pay homage to the most magnificent one, the infinitely compassionate one, he who is our master and our guide, our teacher, he whose compassion is boundless and mercy limitless. As we do so, let us also remind ourselves that this is a pledge that we take upon ourselves. We renew that promise every week that we make to ourselves to make another step forward on our journey to liberation, to salvation. So, let us bring our palms together in making that veneration as a mark of respect and reverence, as well as a pledge that we take upon ourselves. Namo tasse bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhasse Namo tasse bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhasse Namo tasse bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhasse We have all come together to fulfill the sasana. Regardless of who you are, where you come from, what you do, the sasana is the same. I mean, I refer not here to the conventional sasana, but the absolute sasana. The sasana which involves a doing, self-destruction if you like. That is what we have all come here for. So we have come into the sasana, that is the conventional sasana, to do the sasana. That is the absolute sasana. Now, as I said, it matters not who you are, what you do, because the sasana is not for individuals. It is the process with which the mind can be cleansed, or the process by which the mind can be cleansed. So, any mind, whether that is man or beast, the only way the mind can be cleansed is by the sasana, by doing the sasana. So, when you consider yourself a lay person, or if you consider yourself a monk, perhaps an anagarika, sometimes it might give you this false sense of confidence, maybe, that if you have come into the sasana, then the sasana happens. It would be wrong for me to think that just because I'm a monk, 
In other words, having come into the conventional sasana, sasana happens. Here I refer to the absolute sasana. By the same token, you may also feel that as a layperson, there are limits and bounds that you cannot cross. And as a layperson, there is only so much you can do. And if you do that, then that is sufficient. Now I know people who, let's just say, were associates of mine from my lay life. And there's a really funny thing about someone in the family or someone in the extended family friends going into the conventional sasana or becoming a monk. The really funny thing about that is, nine times out of ten, when that happens, nobody else follows. It's funny. If you speak to maybe uh, monks or anagarikas or yanagarikas and you ask them, when you came into the sasana, how many of your friends and family followed? Chances are very few, if any at all. And if you ask some of them why that is so, they will tell you it's because, well, I'm a layperson. As a layperson, there's only so much that I'm supposed to do, and I'm a good Buddhist. So a good Buddhist is supposed to go to the temple every poor day, observe seal, maybe offer alms, once every few months, and that makes a good Buddhist. My point is, the sasana is the sasana for everyone. We know and we must accept that the Buddha was the infinitely wise one. He was a sagacious one. He was the, he was the all-knowing one, the omniscient, the omnipotent, and therefore in his infinite wisdom, if it was sufficient for a good Buddhist to go to the temple every day and offer alms once every few months, and perhaps maybe even live a, a righteous life by the five precepts in a household, you've got to ask the question, why did he establish and institute the conventional sasana? What was the reason? Now, I'm not perhaps directing this at anyone in particular here, but there are a lot of people who listen to these talks online. So I need to be mindful that I have two audiences, the visible and the invisible. Perhaps not the invincible, I hope. So the visible, I speak to, I see your faces, most of you, I know your story, just from the mere fact that you've been coming along here, and I know that you've got be nothing better to do. And perhaps most of you will be held back by the duties and responsibilities which hold you back. But I think, and I hope I'm right here, that you still, despite the list above, 
you still admit and agree that the sasana is the sasana. So whenever you come up with your excuses, I hope you can be frank and honest and you can be, you are truthful to your word and you don't, you are not left with a guilty conscience when you say, Swaminasa, the reason I'm not in the sasana is because I genuinely have these duties and responsibilities. Now this is not to please me by, by any means, of course. I reiterate, the sasana is the sasana. There is no sasana for lay people and there is no sasana for the clergy. Sasana is the sasana because sasana is the way the mind is cleansed. The way you wash is the way you wash, right? It doesn't matter whether you're a lay person or you're a member of the clergy. Matters not. So the sasana is the way you wash your mind. It's the same for all. But I know there are lots of people online who listen to these talks from across the oceans. And sometimes they could become a bit complacent. Because you get a sermon once a week and after you listen to the sermon you feel that everything that has been uttered now I also know and I also understand. You go to understand that I cannot actually express a hundred percent of my understanding in words because the understanding that comes through practice is not something that can be expressed through words. It's a realization. You know, I could try and explain to you my dream, but it is not going to be a full picture of it. I can, I'm going to miss parts of it. This is why over the last couple of weeks I've been reminding you, this realization will happen within you. All I can do is try and elaborate as best as I can using worldly language, something that is out of this world. Just imagine trying to explain to a fish what it is like on land. You've got to use terminology that the fish will never have learned. And when you say ground, it thinks this is ground. When you say, when you say air, it thinks, yeah, you know, like this air, right? Like the water that you take in through your gills. That's what you mean by air, right? <laughs> and when you say trees, he thinks you're talking about seaweed. That's what the fish thinks. Because the fish will have to interpret whatever it hears through the limited realization that it has had in water. So, to know what land is really like, what must you do? Come out of the water and walk on land. So you actually got to make that jump. So, let me remind myself, this is not Sunday, is it? Saturday. Good. Right. We are safe to proceed then. So I can speak my mind out. Liberally. And those who listen to these talks online as well, you know, this is the Saturday talk. You subscribed. You hit that bell icon. So now you know that there's a talk and you want to listen to it.
The sasana is the sasana for everyone. Now perhaps these words could be an encouragement for some of you in the audience as well. And I want it to be so. There may be some who might think, Swaminansa, we believe that it is our purpose to provide for the sasana as laymen and women. I feel that it is my duty to provide for the sasana. And therefore, I'm going to stay back a bit longer before coming into the sasana. So I do the sasana as best as I can from home because it is my duty to provide for the sasana. I have great respect for people who think that and say that from the bottom of their heart if they mean it. You know, it's unheard of. Such selfless sacrifice is unheard of. But you've got to think of the sasana as a conveyor belt. You know, it's like the devas. They make their vimana, their abodes, before they enter it. The deeds that you do as a human being, the karmic energy that you generate creates the vimana for the deva. And so when it passes away as a human being and it is born in the deva world, its abode is there. His abode is there, just waiting. You remember the story from the offering of the Jetavanaram monastery, how this happens. So the sasana is the same. We create our abode before we walk in. I was deserving of this robe before I walked into the sasana. And that was through the accumulation of merit. No other way. I was deserving of a place to stay. I mean, not a palace, but a place to stay so I could fulfill my, my journey because I created it before I came into the sasana. I was deser- deserving of a meal to sate my hunger because I created the karmic energy for that before I walked into the sasana. So like a deva creates his abode before he enters the deva world, we create this environment before we walk into the sasana. Now, that's good, but once the vimana is created, you have to walk into it. Because until you step into it, you are not, you don't qualify to be a deva. Because you can't be a deva and live in Mahargama. It doesn't work like that. Devas don't live in Mahargama. They live in Chatur Maharajika. Or Tavatimsa, or Tusita. Imagine if you built a home, a house somewhere in another country. To say that you were a resident of that country, you have to leave here and go there and start living. That's when you can say, I am now a resident of such country. It's not enough just to build that house and not move in. It's after you've moved in, you become a resident of that, of that place, of that locality. Now, in much in the same way, there may be those among you who feel that it is your duty to provide for the sasana. And hats off. But this is a conveyor belt. I always like to look for positive answers to problems. Guru Hamdra always reminds you, and us. So the same message that he 
gives you, he gives us. That, you know, when we keep starting up these programs for the Swaminarayans and the Anagarikas and the Anagarikas and the Sila Shravakas and the Shravikas and so on, the very people who ferry this boat across are the people who jump onto it. Then who is there left to carry the boat across? But that is no excuse. Because if you need a positive answer to that solution, or beg your pardon, to that problem, a positive solution to that problem, the way we do it is to interest others in the sasana. And then they become those that take part, get involved in carrying this boat across, or in ferrying this boat across, in driving, because they then eventually become passengers. And that's the way this works. Because this is a conveyor belt. On a conveyor belt, say there's something, maybe a, 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 you know, some item, an object that has to be conveyed from one place to another. Each, let's say, balls on a conveyor belt. For this ball to be pushed over, you need one. Hopping on. When this is when this hops on, this gets pushed off. Because that is the way a conveyor belt works. Now imagine if there was this ball that said, you know, I realize that I have a job to do. I realize that it is my role to keep pushing those ahead of me so that they can continue on your on their journey on the conveyor belt. So therefore, I'm going to stay put. I'm going to stay here to help the other balls move along. What do you, what do you think about what this ball's got to say? What do you think about that? Does that make sense? For this guy to say, I'm going to stay here because it's my role, it's my job to push others along. So therefore, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay put. The rest of you carry on. I'll be here and I'll provide for you. What do you think about what? This guy just had to say. Do you agree with that? No. Because to push these things along, what does this guy have to do? Move. In the same direction. So, the way he provides, or it provides, to this system, to this process, the way it supports others by moving along on this journey is by mobile, being mobile itself. But while it's here, it allows itself to be pushed from the wall behind it, and then it just carries on transferring that energy to those in front of it, right? Until eventually that ball lands here, and then it's pushed off. But here's the thing. What if it stopped here? And nothing came on. Now you can't push it along. The whole thing stops. Because the only way this, or this, or this, or this for that matter, can eventually fall off the belt is if others hop on. Does that make sense? Because in serving others, we serve ourselves. That is the sasana. When others hop on, we can hop off. 
So again, I ask you, if you say my job, my role is to provide for the sasana, and therefore I have to stay put where I am, and I'll stay here and let everyone else pass along, I'll just be there to help others move along, I can't accept that. Because the sasana is the sasana. You may be lay, you might be a monk. You may be young, or you may be old. The sasana is the sasana. To go from here to here, you have to get on the conveyor belt. And to move along, you need to get others to jump on the conveyor belt. That is how it works. See, you know, you know why the Buddha became the Buddha? You know why he ended up becoming the Supreme Buddha? What was his perfection? What was it focused on? What was it aimed at? Every occasion he was questioned, why do you strive so hard? At the feet of the Lord Deepankara, where he had the opportunity to become an Arahatta Buddha, he gave up that to become a Sammasam Buddha. In other words, to become the great one, to become the perfect one, you have to help other people. You have to help other sentient beings to join that journey. That is why, in wanting to become a Supreme Buddha, he had to have, it was, it, it was mandatory, it was compulsory. This is a prerequisite to becoming a Supreme Buddha. You want to, you have to need, you have to want for other sentient beings to come on that journey with you and continue and complete that journey with you. We are that troop. We, you and I. And everyone who will listen to his teaching and complete this journey over the next two and a half thousand years. We are that troop. So it was because he had all of us in mind, he was the first to jump off. In other words, when he was, when he was jumping off, we were all somewhere on that conveyor belt. And now we are coming closer and closer to the point where we can dispatch. Where we can jump off this. I need all of you to be part of this. I want all of you to be part of this. Because that's the way I'm going to get off as well. It's funny how this works. But that is the way it works. So I can't be happy for any one of you to say, Zaminans, I'm just going to stay and make sure that you have your arms, you have your robes, you have your kuti. Right? So I, I consider that to be my, my duty and my responsibility. Hats off. I admire that. As I said, it's unheard of you know, for someone to be making such a sacrifice. But I, I can't be happy to let you be there. Because if you don't jump off, if you don't keep moving along, then I can't jump off either. But by the same vein, I need you to also make that journey. Not just because I can't jump off, but because that is how the sasana works. So, you know, it's quite common among lay people, because I was once a lay person myself. Would you believe that? 
it is quite common among the, among the late community to be saying things like, you know, if I go to the temple and I observe the precepts and I uphold those precepts, if I take alms and go to see the monks, you know, once a year maybe, have a period chanting at home, and, you know, just do what a good Buddhist does, then isn't that enough? Is it? You tell me. What do you think? Is it? And how far did that get you? Your grandparents were probably more virtuous than you are. Because you know, they, they had a lot more association with the Sangha, they were far less busy than you are today, right? so they had more spare time to do, to engage in religious activities. Right? But your lives have become very complex, complicated, very busy. So, my question is, if Nibbana is our purpose, ladies and gentlemen, is it enough to do what you're doing right now? And I need you to find your own answers to that. But at the same time, I have an answer that I want you to give me, but I'm not going to be so cruel. You need to be on this conveyor belt. To be doing the sasana, you have to come into the sasana. Otherwise, why would the Buddha, in all his infinite wisdom, why would he have said, the entirety of my sasana is dependent on a kalyanamitta? Ask me why I became a monk, and the answer I have to give you is noble association. Simple as. Noble association. Yes, it has become easier for me to provide and you know, look for my sustenance, but that is not the main reason. I would think that would be a bonus. But the main reason, the number one reason, the single most important reason as to why I have come into the sasana is because of noble association. Because that is so crucial. It is vital. Because it is a mind that we are trying to cleanse here, isn't it? A mind. And not just any old mind, a mind that has a mind of its own. That's the problem. You know, whether someone says what is right or wrong to you, you, you already have a, have a picture of what is right. You already know what is right. <clears throat> the reason teaching someone how to be happy is so difficult is because they already know how to be happy. That is why this is so tough. It's so difficult to get this message across. Imagine going to a party to a, you know, a bunch of party animals, if you like, and say, hey, I've got something to say. I know how to, ha- I know how to be happy. Let me, let me talk to you. <laughs> you know what they'll do? They'll call the cops. There's a madman here. Take him out. Because we are happy and he's coming to teach us how to be happy. See, you all have a voice inside, don't you? And that voice 
is powered by the drushti that you already have. Therefore, whenever you have to make a choice, you already have an answer, a pre-built, a pre-prepared answer, a pre-fabricated answer. And that answer, 99% of the time, will be inclined towards something worldly, worldly pleasures. But only when you are here, in the presence of a teacher, in the presence of the Dhamma, when you are listening to the Dhamma, now, you know, I think, I think you can all vouch for this. On a Saturday, you come here, listen to the sermons, Guru Swami says sermons and so on, right? You know, at the end of that day, don't you feel like you have to make a change in your life and you, you, you go home thinking, right, you know, I'm going to change myself. This is not enough. But then by the end of the third, fourth, fifth day, it's back to normalcy. And the reason for that is, you are not a thing, you are not an entity. It is just a mind. You know, one after the other, after the other, after the other. Whatever you think, whatever you feel, whatever you perceive is the result and of the conditions that are existing at that moment. So that is why when you're here, you feel that your purpose should be to attain Nibbana. But the moment you leave here, now you are back in the shoes of a father or a mother or a teacher or, a, or an engineer or a, you know, whatever profession you are in or a housekeeper or an employer. You are back there. And when you are back there, then the, the circumstances determine what your priorities are. When you are here, your priority is what? Nibbana, right? Agreed? It is always Nibbana when you are here. But when you leave here, that priority goes down the priority list. Nibbana, I know, you know, you're helpless. I've been there, so I know, I know the feeling. It goes down the priority list. Because people out there, they don't expect Nibbana from you. That is not what they expect of you. They expect you to provide for them. They expect you to be there for them. They expect you to be a friend to them. They expect you to be the doctor. They expect you to be the bank manager. They expect you to have the means to support and help them and, and help them resolve their problems like, I want to get a good education. How do I, how do I go to another country? And then you tell them, <laughs> You know, as much as you can memorize and learn that spell, the moment you leave here, you can't chant it at anybody. Because that is not what people will be expecting from you. They want you to give them problems to solution to you know answers to problems at hand, not at heart. And you go and live amongst social animals, and that is not a derogatory term. It's just you know social animals. We are all social animals. So then you have to be one with them, because you can't look odd. We've forbidden you from doing that as well. Yeah, we've always said you know when you're there, be there. When you're here, be here. And don't pretend that you are more virtuous than the rest of them. Because if you do so, you can't survive in that environment. So, you know, you have to at least put on your camouflage. And before you know it, you are part of them. Because it is just a thought. The person who is here at the end of a Saturday is not the person who is at home on Sunday morning. It's not the same person. 
So it's not like, you know, you're a dog and I can wash you. And then when you go home, you are a washed dog. It's not, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. You are the result of the circumstances in that moment. You are not a fixed entity. You are not a fixed being. Whatever circumstances present themselves to you, that thought is a, is a representation of that. That is why it is so important to be in the presence of noble association. Because in noble association, you know, when you are engulfed by that, when you are submerged in that, when you are drowned in that, right, that is all that comes into your mind. The Dhamma, the Dhamma, and the Dhamma, and the Dhamma. The Dhamma is the truth, nothing else. Now you know at the monastery, we do all sorts of things. Right? We, we don't just you know, seclude ourselves to meditation all day. There are lots of things we do. We do programs for our lay communities, for our monks, for the Anagarikas, the Silasavikas, and so on. We do lots of things. We cook, we clean, we wash, we do everything. Everything that is permiss- permittable under the Buddha, in the Buddha's asana, we do here. And we have a way of you know, self-sustaining ourselves. Because you all keep jumping on, on, <laughs> on, the, on the bandwagon. You all keep jumping onto the ship and then who's going to be left to, to push this thing along? So we have to find ways to become self-sufficient. So that eventually, when you, when you hop on, we can't be saying, oops, that's one wheel of the... Ten-wheeler, now what do we do? So we have, to, we have to find ways and means of doing that. But, whilst we do all that, in our minds, we are always contemplating on the Dhamma. The Dhamma and nothing but the Dhamma. When we sweep, we don't think that we are sweeping with a broom and we are sweeping a room. That is what seems to be happening, but in our minds, that's not what's happening. We are mindful. Mindfully aware, all the time. Let me share with you a, a lovely example that I got to hear recently. So, we do some cultivation at the monastery, as you know. Right? So drawing, some, growing some vegetables, and one of our young monks was uh, working with another team of uh, monks and some anagarikas. So we have this. Uh, we have a. We have two brothers who have become anagarikas, young boys. One, I think, fourteen. The other is about thirteen. So they've had the opportunity to work with the Swami Nuanse and the Swami Nuanse with them. So now they they were working some one day last week. So the Swami Nuanse came to me and shared this experience with me. I was chuffed to hear that. So he said, he said, Swami Nuanse, last week when we were out working. Every 10 minutes, this, this young boy, right, so he, he was the, the, the Ayya and the Maldi, 14 and 13. So this young Swami Nansa, he's uh, 18, something like that. So he was saying, this, these two young boys, these two Anagarikas, you know, they, they would, he would come to me and most respectfully, with his palms together, would say, Avasarai Swami Nansa, with your permission, Venerable Sir, you are contemplating on the Dhamma, aren't you? He said every 10 to 15 minutes, he would come and say that. So this young Swami tells me, throughout the day, 
right? Throughout the day he was working, right? From the morning to somewhere in the afternoon, right? I didn't have a moment's escape. Throughout that time, I had noble companionship. See, noble companionship doesn't have to come from a robe. Noble companionship is a noble thought. That is what noble companionship is. See, constantly reminded, are you contemplating on the Dhamma? If you are digging a hole, is it a hole that you are digging? And if you are using a mamati or a crowbar, is that a crowbar? Is that a mamati? He asks. If you are plucking brinjals, is that a brinjal you are plucking? See, a constant reminder. See, this is what noble companionship is. And to come from a young boy, 13 years of age, how wonderful. So, you know, wisdom doesn't necessarily come in big pack packages. It can come in smaller ones as well. Because a wise man is a wise man. A wise mind is a wise mind. See, this is the noble companionship that I came for into the sasana. But how many times does this happen at home for you? I ask. When you're out there, when you're at the workplace, who comes and asks you about this? Who reminds you, are you contemplating on the Dhamma? Who reminds you to do this? Chances are, when you're here, you're here. But when you leave here, you're elsewhere. It's, 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 it, you know, you need that support. Why do you need that support? Because it is just a thought. That's why. A thought is a representation of the circumstances that present themselves at that moment. That is what it is. You know, this is why when I speak... You have no choice but to hear my voice, don't you? Just think about what I'm saying. As, you, as I speak, you have no choice. You have to hear me. Can you stop hearing me? You may be able to stop listening to me, but you can't stop hearing me, can you? So what is that proof of? Your thought, the thoughts that arise in your mind are purely a product of the circumstances that present themselves in that moment. If I, if I ask you to think about something, you can't not think about it. Meaning, it is not you who can have an agenda of what your next thought is going to be. See if you can stop yourself from thinking about the next thing I'm going to tell you. An apple. Hmm? Don't think about an apple. If you are so powerful and you are, you know, you are, you are the one who thinks. Like, actually, you know what? Now, you, you might have thought, well, Vaminasa, you, you didn't give us warning. You didn't say uh, you were going to tell, talk to us about an apple. If you had said, then I could have not thought about an apple. All right. I'm going, to talk, I'm going to tell you about a jackfruit in a moment, okay? So I'm going to give you warning. Yeah? So this is pre-notice. I'm going to tell you about a jackfruit in a moment. And when I do, please don't think about it. Ready? Three, two, one. What are you giggling about? I've given you warning. Don't you realize you're helpless? What is your role then? 
What is your what is your role as as the self, as the person that you think you are? What is what is that? What is their role? Absolutely nothing. That is why we say this is not a self. This is only dukkha. This is only jati. It is not the it is not the person who sets the agenda. You think you do. That is why I said you know stop playing God. Stop playing God. To think that you can decide what's going to happen to you, to think that you can decide and determine what you're going to think next, hmm? what you're going to listen to next, what you're going to see next. The eye and the sight comes first. Chakuvinyana comes next. Doesn't it? So the thought and the, and the, and the mind comes first. The, the object and the, and the mind comes first and the thought, the consciousness comes next. So it is always a reporter of what has just happened. That's always, you know, bring the analogy of the news reporter. Your mind is a news reporter. Just exactly what a news reporter does. Always reports what has already happened. That is all your mind can do. As much as you like to think that it is all powerful, capable, Can't do anything at all, really. But when this when jati happens in the mind, it gives you this false sense of ownership, this false sense of dictatorship, this false sense of identity that it is I who decide, I who determine what's going to happen to me, what I'm doing now. You think you are listening to this sermon, don't you? You think it's your choice to listen to this sermon, don't you? Okay, then stop listening to it, please. Mute. Go go mute. You can't. Because all it is is a series of causes and effects. There is no you to set an agenda. Now, it is, that, it is for that reason I say, you need noble companionship. Therefore, you need to be on this conveyor belt. Because on this conveyor belt, all you get is the Dhamma. All you get is instruction, advice and guidance on how to fulfill the noble path. So when we are here, we do all sorts of things. You know, we're going to be starting a school very soon for young people. Because we understand that young people out there, they don't get to listen to the Dhamma. Right? If, if we allow, if we leave young people out there, they're just going to grow up to be people like yourselves. <laughs> no offense. You know, it would be, one could think, you know, Swami said, don't encourage people so much to come into the sasana. You know, just give them a bit of dhamma, make them good people. Sometimes parents expect that from us when they bring their children to these programs like Ravana and so on. You know, we have such programs for young people. They come and tell us, Swami said, you know, I don't want my son to stay here. I just want my son to be able to listen to the dhamma and become a good boy. Hmm? I want him to become a good boy. Because right now he's not a very good boy. Can you please help him to become a good boy? The problem is this. The mother thinks she's going to be taking back the boy that she left here. She thinks she's bringing her boy here. Now, for the mother to understand what I'm about to say, first she has to spend a week here. (laughs) Because there is no boy. It is just 
a mind that arises and passes away and the circumstances in which it finds itself determines the consciousness, what it thinks. See, I, one way to help you to lose this sense of the sense of a self is by beginning to realize that you know you are really helpless. But you have this false sense of confidence that you decide what's going to happen to you. You decide that you you can determine what you're going to do next. Can you really though? You'll tell me, Swaminas, if I want, I can get up and leave. So don't be pushing me. If I want, I'll get up and leave. So why haven't you left yet? Why didn't you leave the moment before? There's only one answer, because that thought hasn't occurred to you yet. So then it's not you who makes that decision. It's the thought. And the thought is determined by whatever mental object comes into the mind at that time. I can't make you leave this room. I can't make you stay here either. And you can't leave this room and you can't stay here either. None of these things are things that you or I do. It's just how the mind works, presented with the circumstances, the conditions that exist at that time. Isn't that why on occasions you will regret some of the choices you made in the past? Isn't that why sometimes you plan for what you want to do tomorrow, but when tomorrow comes, you've done something completely different? So if it's you who decides what you're going to do, then how come you write that plan up and then you completely scrap it and start again? So what happened to that plan that you had set for yourself? What What happened to that path that you had set for yourself? It no longer matters. This is why you need to be here. You are the product of your thoughts. That's all. You know, in every moment that you survive, in every moment that you live, you're creating karmic energy. You know, it's like a frisbee. What you throw up there is going to come back to you. You are the product of your thought at this moment. The object that comes into your mind is what you think. You can't think anything else either. You are what you think. The sights that you see, the sounds that you hear, you know, these are all products of your karma. Right? We, you know the karmic strand? You're all familiar with it. Perhaps you know, those who listen online might not have seen this all that often because I haven't drawn it out on the board so much. This is the energy that you have produced. And by the way, you know, it is not organized in any particular sequence, although we draw it like this. Okay, that's just a sidebar. It's not, it's not organized in a particular sequence, per se. Whatever the environment is, that is what attracts the next Vipaka. But once you look back retrospectively, you can say that it was in this sequence. That is how it works. Make sense? It's not like you know, they're all actually lined up like this, ready for the next one and the next one. You know, that's not how it works. It's, it's, it's actually a bit like this all over the place. But retrospectively, once they come to fruition, you can now say that is the sequence in which they came. But it makes sense to line them up like this because it's easier to explain. 
So, this, th this is energy. This is a, a visual representation of energy. You may find an answer somewhere in here to your question. This is visual representation of energy. Energy that was once released by the mind when it was engaged in karma. In fact, you know, if you ask me what is karma, to put it very simply, karma is the recycling of energy. That is what karma is. The recycling of energy so that it is, it is reserved for your use. I mean, that is what recycling is. You, 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 you recycle, right? It's pretty obvious what it means. That is what karma does. So when there is no karma, you simply exhaust energy. Energy that is consumed, is consumed. It doesn't come back to you. That's why the analogy of a frisbee is a good one. Because the same frisbee you keep, you keep throwing into the air. Right? Once it's done its round, it comes back to you. That's why you say what you give is what you get. You know, all of these things, you know, they, they, they make sense. Each of these, let's say, balls of energy, but energy is not like this. It doesn't have a shape. Energy is formless, but this is simply a visual representation so we can understand this. Each of these has the, has the capacity to create a site and the, and the eye. Now the eye is not necessarily the physical eye we are talking about here. It is the part of the eye that is sensitive to, to sight. So is that a biological part of the body? I don't think that is a, that is a question we need to be answering here. That's not concern ourselves about how big or how small it is. Is it, is it a cell? Is it an area in the back of the eye? That is not what we need to concern ourselves with here. Regardless of what it is, it is the eye that is required to, to see a sight, and these two things are a product of, of this energy. So when each of these balls of energy, like when, when a packet of energy is released, it gives you the, not you, it, it, it creates an instance of this, and when these two come into contact, eye and sight come into contact, you have eye consciousness. This is what we've been drawing on the board as a chitta. We call this eye consciousness because this chitta has arisen to receive, register, recognize, respond, and perceive this sight. This is the reporter. So this would not have arisen if not for this karmic energy, this energy that has just been released. So what does the chitta do? It simply reports that one of these has just been released. That's what it does. In the next moment, you can, you'll have another one. right? And that one will probably give you sound and an ear. When these two come into contact, you get this consciousness, which is ear consciousness. Sota vinyana. This is chakvinyana, sotavinyana. Now, these are not like you know, separate vinyanas. It's just a vinyana. This is just a thought whose purpose is to see, and this is the purpose of this is to is to listen. Because the receiving 
responding, sorry, receiving, registering, recognizing, responding, and perceiving, that, that job is required to process objects. What are the types of objects? Sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, and thought. These are the only objects that exist. Aramana, as we refer to. The Aramana are the objects. So when these objects come into contact with the senses, consciousness is born, which is the chitta. So this is what's happening in you right now. Now do you see, when this happens, this happens. So what happens first? This happens. This happens next. Yeah? If this happens next and this happens first, this is the precursor to this, do you think the consciousness can determine what's going to happen next? Hmm? If this is the child, these are the parents. Can you decide your parents? Can you? Did you? You can't do that. Because you are the product of the coming together of these two things. The eye and sight, or the sound and ear, or the taste and tongue. Right? So why do you have the senses? So that consciousness can be born. That is what the senses do. The senses are simply receptors to what goes on in the world. You know, the world could exist just fine without consciousness. This pen, for the existence of this pen, you don't need to perceive a pen. It'll, it can just be there. But what the mind does is it perceives events in this world. That's why it says, Aramana, Vijanana, Lakkana, Chitta. Aramana are the objects. And the perception of objects is the purpose of the Chitta. So, now, you know, all this is to, is to help you figure that you have no special role. But if I ask you, who are you? You have lots of things to say about you, don't you? Just think about how you used to give a myself speech. Now you'll be very embarrassed perhaps of some of the things you might have said. Right? But just imagine, you know, go back a few years in your life before you start listening to the Dhamma and someone said, give a speech about myself. Oh, of course I give a speech about myself. Who else? <laughs> you walk onto the stage and get the microphone, right? stand up tall and give a speech because you're going to talk about who? Number one. The one around whom the whole universe exists, right? That is how you used to feel, because you, that is the feeling of God. You felt that you were God, me and my world, me and my children, me and my family, me and my wife, me and my house, me and my work, me and everything. This is, this is what used to happen to you. But, you know, just have a look at here. If, if you realized how a chitta was born, now, now, you know, in this chitta, let's ask this chitta, give a myself speech. Let's ask this chitta, that is, this is sight, sight consciousness, right? We've just put an object in front of the eye. Let's say that object is a, is a tree. Okay? Let's ask this eye consciousness to give a myself speech. What do you think he's going to say? Hello. I am Sam. Do you think it's going to say that? But you, when you gave your myself speech, you gave a name, didn't you? 
I am Natalia. I am Christopher. I am John. I am Richard. I am James. I am George, the king. <laughs> huh? You gave yourself a name. I am asking you, what name would this consciousness give itself? If anything, it would say, I am I consciousness. And nothing more and nothing less. But you gave yourself a name. And then it would say, I am. See, see, let's look at what you said and let's see what the I-conscious has to say. You said, I am 25 years old. Really? If you were maybe 5 years old when you gave your first myself speech, you would have said, I am 5 years old. At 25, you said, I am 25 years old. If I were to give a myself speech today, you would say, I am 35 years old. Asachitta, how old are you? Just born. Hmm? And then you would have said, uh, average life expectancy. Because I'm a human being, and average life expectancy is 80 years, 70 years. Hmm? I don't know, what's the, what's the, what's the going rate these days? These days? <laughs> what's the strike rate these days? So you talk about average life expectancy. What does this chitta say? Only a chitta moment. I'm trying to explain to you, dear ladies and gentlemen, how you went from this to this. See how, see how this journey evolved. And then you realize what a, what a false world in which you live. Because jati hasn't happened yet in this chitta. I'm talking about a pure chitta where there is no jati, no ignorance here. It's just serving its purpose. It, won't, well, it, it will see, let's say, let's say it sees a tree, but it won't see, absolutely, it won't see a fixed tree. Okay? So, then it will also say, uh, I'm a boy. I'm a man. I'm a woman. Ask the consciousness, are you a man or woman? What's it going to say? does not compute. Because it doesn't identify itself as a man or woman. But when you gave your myself speech, you had, you had an answer to that. Then you ask, uh, where do you live? You had, you had something to say, I live in Panadur. I live in Jaffna. I live in India. Ask Jitta, where do you live? There's no place to live. When do you live? You know, what year is this? So you say, I, you know, I live in 2023. <laughs> in this moment, that's it. So don't ask me whether I'm a male or female, don't ask me what my name is, don't ask me whether I'm a mother or a father, but you see, you had an answer to all these things. You had preferences, and you, you even could say, I don't like looking at trees. You said that. Ask the chitta. You might have said, I don't look like looking at coconut trees. I don't like coconut trees. But you just saw one. Ask this chitta that has just seen the tr this tree. Let's assume that's a coconut tree. Ask this chitta, do you have a preference for not seeing a coconut tree? It's like, no, that, that is, I don't compute what you're just asking me, because that is not my role. 
I simply report. That's it. So how did you go from this to that? Where did it all go wrong? What happened? The answer is jati. That is the answer, jati. This is why, you know, someone asked me recently, so I mean, you, you used to talk about suffering those days in the sermons. You don't talk about it much now. Yes, I don't like to refer to this as dukkha, even. I prefer the word jati because even when you say dukkha, people think I'm talking about suffering. This suffering. Because we, we've come here with our preconceptions of what suffering is. So until the penny drops, this is not a suffering that you're talking about. That's why they say the first noble truth of suffering. I don't like that. It's not the first noble truth of suffering. It's the first noble truth of dukkha, not dukkha. It's the first noble truth of It's a noble truth, not something to feel. It's something to realize. It's a realization. It's a realization. Buddha is a realization. It's enlightenment. Not suffering. So, jati hasn't happened yet. So let's see when jati happens. Now what happens? You know, the, you know what goes on? This is the result of karmic energy. <clears throat> So, one <coughs> packet of energy matured and now has given fruition to sight and eye and the eye consciousness has been born. Right? This is the pure chitta. This is what happens with an arahant. This is what you are aspiring to. You will eventually get here. Now, don't ask me the question, well, Swaminasa, if you, when I get here, am I not going to say I am a male? Then... Am I not going to say I'm a female? Am I not going to know which ones, which toilet I should go to? Am I just going to walk in? That would be chaos. No, no, no. That's not what I mean. But it's fine. You can ask the question. So here, and here's the answer. It's one thing to know, and it's an, it's another to identify with something. It's one thing to know something, and it's, it's another to identify with something. Now, don't you know? Don't you know a giraffe when you see one? But do you identify yourself with a giraffe? Do you ever feel that, I think I'm a giraffe? Do you ever feel that way? No, but you do feel that you are a human being, don't you? You feel that you, not just feeling, you perceive that you are a, you are a male, you are a female. Yeah? You perceive that you are a husband or a wife. That is one but to know what a husband is. That's knowledge. Knowledge and perception are two very different things. An arahant knows. An arahant knows what a husband is. An arahant knows what a son is. An arahant says the Sariputta when his mother arrived to listen to him preach in the last few days of his life, you know, he knew this was the mother. He knew this was the mother, but he didn't perceive he didn't identify himself as the son of that woman. They're different things. There's a subtle difference here, and I, I want you to understand what I'm trying to exp explain to you here. I hope you do. You know, you never identify yourself as a duster, do you? But you think if the duster could speak, it would say that I am a duster. 
That's why if the giraffe could speak, you would say, the giraffe must feel the same way that I feel I'm a, I'm a human being. The giraffe must feel it's, that it's, it's an animal, that it's a giraffe. Only if in the giraffe's mind, jati happens. Otherwise, the giraffe can look in the mirror, just as you could look in the mirror as an arahant, look, yourself, look at yourself in the mirror and, and, and know, know, not identify, know that this formation, this configuration of matter is the configuration that is conventionally known as a human being. That is what an arahant knows. When the arahant looks in the mirror, he knows that what he is looking at is the configuration of matter that is conventionally referred to as a male or a female human being. But when you look in the mirror, you think you are looking at yourself because you identify with the rupa that you see in the mirror. Do you get that distinction? That is what I'm trying to get across to you here. And all that happens because of separation. Because when you feel separate, now hear me out, when you feel separate, when you feel, when you sense separation, there are things that have to belong to it. So, you know, now we can start connecting all that talk about belonging, right? We, we've been talking about that for a long time, right? And so, so, you know, it, it, would be, it would be really great to piece all of this together so that you can get you know, one picture of the whole thing. So it's important that as we make progress, you know, you don't lose sight of things like vexation and relief and pleasure. You know, they all fit into this picture. It's all one puzzle, but when the pieces fit together, voila, looks amazing. That is what we do. All there is is to know. Right? Only when jati happens in the mind, does something that is that is that is that shouldn't happen happen. I mean, you can't say it shouldn't happen because it happens. There is nothing in this world that should or shouldn't happen. Right? Whatever the conditions are, that's what happens. Who are we to judge whether it should or shouldn't happen? I mean, you know, should this break or shouldn't this break? You can only answer that question if you have a preference. In other words, again, jati. Right? So. The, the purpose of a chitta is simply to know. When, when I say perceive, that is what I mean. The purpose of a chitta is simply to, to know, to come to know. To come to know what's, what's going on. Because it's a reporter. When you watch the news, the news reporter's job, the news reporter's job is simply to report so that you know what has happened. Yeah, we report, you decide. <laughs> So that's, that's all the, the news reporter does. They report. It's not the news reporter's job to have a preference for what should have happened or to, or to give an alternative story or to say this is not what should have happened, you know, that should have happened. Oh, how nice it would, would have been that it, that happened and not this. That is not, that is not the job of a reporter. In the same way, the job of the chitta is simply to, 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 to come to know Think of it in those terms. To come to know about something. To come to know about what? Sight, sound, smell, taste, touch and thought. But you can't come to know without the receptors. 
that is why we have we have we have to carry this this sens sensory inputs with us wherever we go right this chitta to do its job it needs to receive information about what has happened in the world therefore therefore it can come to know what has happened yeah so that's why wherever you see a chitta you will see an eye wherever you see a chitta you will see an ear because these two things have to work together for the purpose of coming to know so the arahant when the arahant looks in the mirror and they see they see that what they see is matter what they see is matter configured i mean they know this now an arahant An arahant knows that for lunch he had, say, a potato. He knows this. So he, when he looks at this, he doesn't see a potato. What he knows is, though, that all this is, is matter configured in this arrangement. It's an arrangement, arrangement of matter, arrangement of matter and energy. That is what an arahant knows. What you and I think or what the non-trained mind thinks when they look at the image in the, in, in the screen or on a mirror is, that is me. See, this is just chitta coming to this conclusion. How wrong is that? How can a chitta come to the conclusion that I am looking at myself in the mirror when it sees this, when it sees this object? Here's why that happens. When the eye opens, and this is the sight, now that comes into contact with the eye, Again, you have eye consciousness. Yeah? All clear on that? Because this, this uh, energy, this blob of energy, has now just matured, and eye and sight have now come together. The sight is this that you see in the mirror, and the eye is the receiving part of the eye. Okay? When the two of them come together, now you have eye consciousness. But what happens is, this happens in a, on a platform that has ignorance, meaning ignorant about the fact that all there is is manifestations. Ignorant about that. What is ignorance? Ignorance is ignorance about ignorance. <laughs> that is what ignorance is. <clears throat> is it not really? When the Buddha attained the Buddhahood and he, pre he preached the yes and uh, um, Dependent origination process. You know, what does it start with? Avidya. Meaning ignorance. So until he became the Buddha, what was he ignorant of? Ignorance. So what is ignorance then? Ignorance about? Ignorance. That is what ignorance is. So what is, then, what is wisdom then? <laughs> wisdom is wisdom about ignorance. So when you're ignorant about ignorance, you're ignorant. Okay? When, when you're ignorant, the chitta now thinks or has, has this knowledge, this wrong knowledge, this is misinformation, misguided, right? That's why you call it ignorance. It is now ignorant about the fact that this is simply an arrangement of matter. That is what it's ignorant about. In other words, it thinks this, this knowledge makes the chitta think, it leads the chitta to think that 
this world is separable, fixed. That it's not manifestations that there that there exist. They are entities, nietzsche, not cause and effect, just out of the sky. People sometimes ask me this question. Swaminanda, you know, if, if you've always got to be mindful about anicchaduka and anatta, how can you actually go about doing anything? Like, how can I, how can I eat if all I have to think about is not fixed? Like, then uh, all I can do is contemplate on that. How can, I, how can I actually engage myself in any activity? So, because I can't multitask, right? Which one do you want me to think about? My answer to that is this. Right now, you think that everything's fixed, right? And you, 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 you just get along with your job just fine, don't you? With, with ignorance in your mind, thinking that things are fixed entities, you carry on doing your work without a problem. You know, without a bat of an eyelid. Without, you know, without, just a, without as much as a, as, as a flinch. Right? You carry on doing your work, eating, driving, right? walking, talking. All this you do with no problem at all. Because, you know, two processes are happening in your mind at any given moment. This as well as the ignorance-driven process. So you who are able to do two things at once, ask me the question, how can I just do one at once? How dare you ask me that question? Because right now, you have both processes running in parallel. The process of consciousness as well as the process of jati. In fact, you are multitasking just fine. What I'm asking you to do is stop multitasking and start single-tasking. <laughs> if this is too busy, right? Perhaps this would have been busier. You could ask me, how could I do this? How can I do three things at once? All I'm asking you to do is stop doing the second one and just do one. This Ioniso Manasikara, you're doing just fine, right? Without anybody's help. Hmm? So, what about the Yoniso Manasikara then? The only reason that you feel that you have to stop and contemplate, stop and contemplate, stop and contemplate, how can I do both at once? Right? The only reason you feel it that way is because you're still training. That's why. Do you remember how you learned to ride the bike? The bicycle? <coughs> hmm? When you learned to ride the bicycle, someone had to hold you and keep you on, on, on the bicycle and, 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 and push you along. Because back then, you just, you just weren't used to riding it. But now, right, once you get used to it, can't you ride it with both hands behind your back? Maybe a phone in one hand, right? Bag of onions in the other hand. Huh? Just going to the shop to bring some onions. And, you know, you're, you're riding the bike. See, when you used to l l learn to drive, to drive the car, what did the instructor say? At the beginning, always hold the steering with both hands, right? And then when you took a turn, how were you supposed to do that? Right? Before you let go, you have to hold on to the other one. How do you do the turn now? Right? And the force on the other hand. I know, no, no, no. Just turning. See now, when you when you when you when you when you drive, you have someone in the passenger seat. Can't you have a conversation, right? And when you get home, you you can't you don't even think. Did I actually drive? Did we actually did I? How many? If someone asks you, how many times did you change gear? Do you have an answer to that question? 
No, you do it almost automatically. You don't even think about it, but you do. We say we do it without thinking, but actually you do think. But because it has become so used to doing, right? You are more, you're, you're freed up to have that conversation with someone. But when you first started, you said, no, no, please don't talk to me now. I'm concentrating. I have to concentrate on the road. You know, there's traffic ahead of me and I have to, I have to watch out. Right? So either stop talking or get out. <laughs> Back when you first started to drive. But then you became, got used to it and you know, that's how you do it. So the reason that we feel that we have to look at something and then contemplate, it's not fixed. Look at something again and contemplate, it's not fixed. Look at something and contemplate that it's not fixed. It's not separable. You know, this is jati. It's because you are still getting used to it. You're still practicing. That is why that practice is so important. That is why you need someone to come and tell you, Amma, mazikari nedinne. As you're chopping your onions. You need someone to come and remind you to do that. Because you're still practicing. <clears throat> now that is what we have here. Now if you walk around the monastery, <clears throat> don't ask me, for you, you won't, I won't let you, but if you did walk around the monastery, Right? You'll see everywhere, you know, every few yards, there's a reminder that we put little posters right, saying, are you contemplating? Are you mindful? Come to your senses. Are you practicing the path? Because, you know, you can't not read it, can you? When you see something, you can't not read it. Because reading is not something that you do. It happens. If you've learned the language, now you, you give meaning to those shapes. Yeah? So therefore, language is understood, it's interpreted, and you don't have to be, there, there doesn't have to be a doer. So these reminders are there everywhere. Do you remember I asked you to put some reminders at home, like on the uh, rice cooker and, you know, the fridge and so on, what you're waiting for? Yeah, so that was a reminder that death is always coming as you wait for something else. Yeah, so that was always to be mindful. Now in the same way, you need to be mindful that the reason you see separation is because jati is happening in the mind. In other words, folks, what I'm asking you to do is come to your senses about ignorance. Because what is ignorance again? Ignorance is the ignorance of ignorance. That is why the dependent origination process takes place. It always starts with avidya. So wherever there is no avidya, it, the, the dependent origination process cannot take place. The dependent origination of what? So let's not call it suffering anymore. Jati. Avidya, pachya, sankara, pachya, vinyana, namarupa, salatana, so on and so forth. And you end with jati. It always starts. It is always triggered because of ignorance. So every moment in which you can be out of that ignorance and in wisdom, in other words, knowledgeable, wise, aware of ignorance, now ignorance cannot prevail. It's like the darkness. Wherever there is light, there cannot be darkness. Aloko Udapadi. Wherever there is light, there cannot be darkness. The absence of light is darkness and nothing else. Darkness is not a thing. It's just the absence of light. Isn't it? So wherever there is light, there is no darkness. So therefore, whenever you are aware of ignorance, you are no longer in ignorance. So whenever you come to your senses that this is jati, you are no longer ignorant, are you? 
Remember when those Brahmins used to go and ask the Buddha, Venerable Sir, I, am I in the Rupa? Hmm? I'm trying to link that story to you so you can now you know, really grasp this concept of what is really ignorance here. Am I in the Rupa? The Buddha said you're asking the wrong question. So is the Rupa in me then? Asking the wrong question. Am I made of the Rupa? Asking the wrong question. Is the Rupa made of me? Asking the wrong question. So what is the right question to be asking then? Ask me why you feel that I. So why do I perceive this I? Ah, now he says because of Upadan or Bhava. Upadan. This, this questioning goes on, right? Until you come to Abhisankara. So then is Abhisankara in, in the Rupa then? Or is Rupa in the Abhisankara? And again the Buddha says, asking the wrong question. So what is the question I should be asking, Venerable Sir? Ask me how Abhisankara comes into being. And then the Buddha says, ignorance. That's it. He stops there. In other words, what the Buddha says is, all this while, you are ignorant. Therefore, you are asking me the question of a self. You are trying to locate a self. You are trying to place the self in something. And every time I said Upadana and Tanha and, 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 and Sparsha and so on, you always, try to, you always try to identify with that. You always try to place the self in that. You were looking for a place to, to put the self. As Guru Andhra says, you know, park your car. Right? You were always trying to find somewhere to, 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 to stuff this self. But now, I've just helped you realize that this is not a self at all. Ignorantly, you think it's a self. And therefore, you're trying to park the self. But have you not just realized now that it is ignorance that is the cause of this perception of self? So therefore, this can no longer be self. Now, when the Brahmin realizes that it cannot be the self, does he ask the question again? I mean, if anyone in their sane mind would not ask the question again, right? So, is the self in this, or is this in the self? And is the self made of this, or is this made of the self? Because now you realize, no, there is no self at all. It is just a perception. It was just jati. It's a feeling. It's a, it's a sense. It's a perception of self, not a self at all. You know, like baby Natasha. You know, what a fitting example that was when we first talked about it. As a mother used to ask questions about the baby. You know, how old is she? Is she fed? Is she going to school? You know, how about a brother for her? And all these questions. When she ultimately realizes that there was no baby at all. It was just, you know, her mind gone insane because of which she, she, she perceived a baby, but there was no baby at all. Once you realize that, no mother asks, when do we feed her? Where do I put her? Shall I carry her? You don't ask that question. So this is, this is what we need to come to. This understanding. It has to come with practice. That is the practice of the... This is the Aryan practice, really. This is the Aryan practice. So what is Arya Maitri? Wherever there is Arya, this is the practice. So if there's Arya Maitri, this is the practice with Maitri. If this is Arya Karuna, then there, this is Arya. Arya is always this. The eradication of self. Because Rya is the production of self. This is the sustenance of self. 
is the energization of self. That is Riya. So Arya is the opposite of that. The cessation of self. The liberation from self. The freedom from self. So whenever there's my, we do Arimaitri. Do you remember we used to do Arimaitri in these sermons? May I and all beings in all worlds be freed from what? Sansara. Okay? May I and all beings in all worlds be freed from Sansara. Now, you can, you know, it's not the words themselves that made it Arimaitri. Yeah. Because you can chant the same words as a Prutabjana and think that you are chanting Arimaitri. Because Arimaitri is not something you can print on a piece of paper. Such as, you know, Nibbana is not Nibbana, I told you the, uh, last week, right? Arimaitri is not something, I can't print Arimaitri on a piece of paper and give it to you and say, this is Arimaitri. Because that part is simply your realization that we are not spreading this to sentient beings. All there is, is a consciousness. And wherever there is the conditions for suffering to take place, wrong word, wherever there are the conditions for jati to take place, jati will take place. Wherever there are conditions for a consciousness to take place, consciousness will take place. What are the conditions for consciousness to take place? Of course, there you go. Where did this come from? This energy. So energy, a blob of energy, a packet of energy, gives you an instance of sight, an instance of the eye, and as they come into contact, again through vipaka, this is what we mean by vipaka. So whenever we talk about vipaka, this is what we're talking about. Vipaka energy, or karmic energy, whichever way you look at it. Right? So this is vipaka energy, which gives rise to a consciousness. This consciousness is born for the, for the, for the simple and the, and the single purpose of recognizing what has just happened. It is simply a reporter. So you might ask the question, what is the whole point of this Swaminasa? Why do we need to know what has happened? That's a valid question to ask, isn't it? You know, things happen in this world, fair enough. Why do we need to know about it? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a valid question to ask. So if things happen in the world and they can happen even with or without me knowing about it, why should I know about it? Exactly, why? <laughs> it's a very good question. And so, why? Why do you need to know about it? You need to know about it, again, because of ignorance. That is why when the mind is once and for all free from ignorance, what doesn't happen anymore? A chitta doesn't arise anymore at Paranibbana. Because what is the point of coming to know something that has happened? You say you used to watch the news. Hmm? Those days. <clears throat> I'm sure there are at least some of you in the audience, if not all, who don't waste their time watching news anymore. Unless, of course, you know, you have to because duties, responsibilities and so on. Right? Maybe your work requires you to be abreast with what's going on out there. Perhaps you are a businessman or a businesswoman and you need to know how the world and economics and all that is working out. But news for the sake of news. I remember when I was when I was when I was a layperson, getting onto the this was a bad habit that I used to have until I found a mentor who said, Don't waste your time absorbing the news and what people have to say about everything else. 
a bad habit I used to have when I got on the tube, you pick up the free newspaper. And I would read it from front to back on the way to work. And then after work, they'd have another newspaper called the Evening Standard. You'd read that from, the, from, from front to back on the way home because it was about a two and a half hour journey for me. So I wasted that time. Wasted time. But when I realized that that was just a waste of time, then I started to spend that time more wisely, reading about things that would actually make a difference in my life, listening to the Dhamma and so on. So, then I stopped tuning into the news <clears throat> and concerning myself more than was necessary about what was going on out there. So I, I used to, I, I gave up concerning myself more than was necessary about what was going on out there. And I didn't have to tune into the news and, and I, I went on just fine. But I thought if I didn't know what was going on out there, you know, then my life would be impossible. Today, we don't bring in the newspaper, we don't watch the news, right? but you know, we seem to be doing just fine. So, you don't have to know what's going on out there. Let's go on. So, what is the purpose of a chitta then? A chitta only needs to be born if there is ignorance. You can eventually free yourself from ignorance. You can free the chitta from ignorance. And until there is an environment which draws the vipaka, the vipaka will be drawn. But once that environment ceases to exist... A chitta's purpose is no longer required. Therefore, a chitta is no longer born. See, have a think about this. There is raga, dvesha and moha, which are the bonds. Desire, aversion and delusion. These are the bonds. These bonds are formed in the chitta. In other words, this, this, this raga, dvesha, moha, if I can use the word they are, if I say this is karmic, can I say this is chittik? Huh? They are related to the chitta. It is the chitta, it is the mind that, that, is, the, that is the basis, that is the ground for raga, dvesha and moha. What raga, dvesha and moha does is it, it exerts an energy that keeps this karmic energy together. Okay. This karmic energy, it cannot disperse. It cannot disperse because the chitta has an influence on it. For as long as raga, dvesha and moha subside in the chitta, in the mind, that, that energy is exerted on the karmic, karmic energy. So therefore that karmic energy cannot, cannot disperse. That is why your karma comes to you. But in reality, it's not your karma coming to you, but you know, although we feel it that way, this karmic energy is, is bound to this chitta, or this chitta base, or perhaps this, this series of chitta. Because every moment as this one passes away and another one arises, that, that, that hold is always there. Okay? That hold is always exerted. It's like, you know, a baton. When you run the relay, right? As, the, as, as one runner passes the baton to the next, right, it never drops. So in the same way, when a chitta passes away, those bonds that are based in ignorance, you know, those bonds prevail. So as those bonds prevail, the karmic energy, it is, it is, it is preserved. It is, it is not free. 
so it, therefore it cannot disperse. But what happens is when the Ragadvesha and Moha, when you start working on Ragadvesha Moha, when ignorance begins to subside, now this is what happens when you become a Sotapanna, for instance. When you become a Sotapanna, your ignorance is, 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 is eradicated once and for all to a certain extent. And along with that, Ragadvesha and Moha, those bonds, those strong bonds are, are loosened to some extent. And to the extent to which it is loosened, some of this energy is no longer attracted. The law of attraction and so on, right? And some of this energy is no longer attracted to this chitta process. Therefore, it is dispersed. And as it is dispersed, we call it ahosi karma. So as that chitta is dispersed, that energy is freed now. That energy being freed, it no longer comes back to this, this thought process. Or this that you know we identify as one being, although there is no being here, yeah, but there is a process here. That that hold, you know, imagine just chains, that's why you say Raga Bandhana, the bonds of Raga, Dvesha and Moha. These chains, these links, these bonds are what keep this karmic energy reserved and attracted to it. There's a hold on it. As Raga Dvesha and Moha become to lessen, then the hold lessens and therefore that energy is freed. So what happens when you become an anagami person? Right? Then any karmic energy that was due to to be to, to come to fruition in the karm in the in the karma world, the sensual world, you know, that energy you, you no longer have a hold on that. Again, because Ragadvesha and Moha have lessened. It is through the bonds of Ragadvesha and Moha, which are again rooted in ignorance, that you keep this, this bond. This is you know, this is now you can explain quite clearly how it is that before becoming an arahant, you will have accumulated an infinite amount of karma. But how so, after becoming an arahant, that karma escapes and it's no longer yours, that, that karmic energy. See, before becoming an arahant, perhaps, you know, maybe you've done a lot of karma to, to become a deva, maybe to become a brahma, or maybe a human being for many eons, perhaps. right? Or maybe, uh, you know, perhaps they were unmeritorious deeds that were done in your life. You know, take the case of Angulimala, the great Arahant, right? So, if he died and had been born again, you know, there would have been lots of karmic energy which might have given him rebirth in the woeful plane. But upon becoming a Sotapanna and listening to the Buddha's teaching, the Raga, Desha and Moha that prevailed because of ignorance. Ignorance is always at the root of all of this. Right? Uh, because ignorance was, was, was attacked. The amount by which ignorance was subside, subsided, Ragadvesha and Moha, these bonds subsided. And therefore, any energy that was there that was going to give rebirth in, an, in, the, in the woeful planes, they are now freed. So this, because this is all energy that is captivated. This is captured energy. This energy belongs to the universe. It doesn't belong to anyone. It belongs to the universe. But what you can do is, you know, like if you walk up to the ocean and take a bucket with you, now you can take water from the ocean and you have a bucket full of water. But you do know very well, don't you, that one day it's going to go back to the ocean. As all water does, take that bucket, walk up to a mountain and, and spill it. I just just topple, you know, throw the water out. What's the sun going to do? Take it all back up and go and <laughs> deliver it back to the ocean. Right? So no matter where you drop some water, spill some water, it's always going to go back to the ocean. In the same way, 
all energy is in the universe. It always goes back to the universe. Because we are all part of that universe. It's not like we are isolated. We are, that's why I say, you know, we are all children of God. God is that energy. It is the Vipaka. It is, it is this pure energy. Yeah? Hello? <laughs> Do you understand what I'm trying to explain to you here? Yeah. So, so, so when, when this consciousness takes place, without ignorance, all that happens is one of these has come to fruition, energy released, and that's it. That energy back into the universe. This is what happens in the mind of an Arahant. But now see, when there is jati, based in ignorance, when jati happens, now karma happens. What was karma again? The what of energy? Recycling of energy. When karma happens, this energy, this packet of energy that was released to form this, this sight, this eye and this consciousness, now that energy is put back in here again. In other words, really what's happening is, energy releases back to the, back to the universe. However, these bonds, Ragadesh and Moha, they continue to keep their hold on it. They continue to do so. So therefore, that energy is now, it's, you know, it's like a frisbee. For as long as you, you throw, you, you know, if you had, imagine a rope, like a lasso, right? If you threw one end but held onto the other end, right, eventually it's going to come back to you. Because when you tug on it, it's going to come back to you. But without karma, without ignorance, without jati, it's like throwing a rope but without holding onto, the, onto one end. Once it's gone, it's gone. Never going to come back to you. See, this is what we are about. This is, this is the sasana. Our dealing is, what we are trying to do here is to stop this jati from happening. I was trying to explain the point, now I'm reminded. When jati happens, separation happens. When jati happens, separation happens. Remember last week I said, jati is the best word for this because jati is type. So jati is type. So you say this is pen jati. Now you know the singular term jati, meaning, meaning type, right? She's not my type, he's not my type. We, we talked about it here, yeah. pretty sure we talked about it, yeah. So type, jati. When we say this is a pen type or jati, what we are saying is that there is matter that has gone into making this pen. But when we say jati, Typification. What we are saying is that matter belongs to this pen. <laughs> that matter belongs to this pen. That's why we say this is a pen jati, a pen type. And this is another pen type. This is a whiteboard type. What we, are, what we are actually trying to, you know, the, the meaning behind this, these words, really, if you, if, you just, if you just go into your mind and, and try to understand what do we actually mean when we say pen type, pen jati, what we actually mean to say is this. Matter is, this is an arrangement, right? This is an arrangement. The arrangement that has gone into this pen, into making this pen, the matter that has gone into making this pen belongs to the pen. That is what we mean by that. Whereas in truth, it doesn't belong to this pen. 
the matter that has gone into making this pen doesn't belong to this pen. Why do I say that? Because, yeah, I mean, you know, in two years from now, it will not be part of this pen. It will be part of another pen. Maybe it will be part of a plastic bottle. Maybe it will be, you know, in 500 years from now, it will have become an apple. In a thousand years from now, it will be someone's nose. What? The matter that has gone into making this pen? No. But when we say, when we think of jati, we have this sense of belonging. Right? My jati. My jati. Because jati is separation after all. You know, it's like when we talk about race, like we say, you know, they are my type. My jati. They are jati. My jati. I think, you know, as you're all familiar with Sinhalese, I, you know, that word has, has, has a strong uh, tone about separation. Right? Ape jati. They are not ape jati. They are their jati. They are different jati. They are the English jati. <laughs> we are the Sinhala jati. They are the Tamil jati. See? Again, we are talking about separation. In fact, what we are saying is, the components that make it, that are going to make it, belong to that group. That is what we ask. Now, those days, I think, I don't know whether they do it now in, in, in application forms. They used to ask, what is your race? You know, are you, are you Sinhalese? Are you Tamil? And so on. You know, what is your jati? In other words, what, <laughs> what it implies is, you as a component, what do you belong to? Hmm? What do you belong to? Now we say, but we are all humans. Don't we? We say, you know, let's, 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 let's look beyond our race and accept that we are all the human race. Good, but not good enough. Because once again, we have typified ourselves as the human jati. You know, until the, until the mind sees the Dhamma, okay, until the mind realizes what ignorance is, because ignorance is the ignorance of ignorance, right? until the mind goes beyond ignorance and to, to see wisdom, everything in this world, everything in existence, it will talk about as entities and things that belong to other entities. You can't help it. Because the mind sees separation. What can it do? Once you put colored glasses on, it can't be your fault for seeing things of that color, can it? If you've got red glasses on, then you're going to see everything is red. Who's to blame for that? The fault is not seeing red. The fault is having the glasses on. So you can't say if you're wearing red glasses, hey, stop seeing red and start seeing green. You can't say that. Because that's just very natural. So whenever jati happens in the mind, it's very natural to feel that separation, to feel that this body that you see is a male and that it is my body. And then, you know, these people are my type. Your people are your type. You are the Sinhala type. We are the Tamil type. You are the Hindu type. We are the Buddhist type. <laughs> what Buddhist is a Buddhist who sees type? <laughs> what is so Buddhist about them? What is, what is Buddhism, what is, what is Buddhist philosophy if not being able to see beyond type? Hmm? If you have to see type, if you, if you can't help seeing type, you know, that is the very essence of not being Buddhist. Because Buddhist is, this is the bhava, right? Because bhava creates jati. What is bhava after all? 
the aggregation of elements to form the type. That is what bhava is. The aggregation of elements. Upadana is bringing them close. Bhava is putting them into formation. And ultimately you end up with jati. That is why tanha pacha upadana upachana pacha bhava bhava pacha jati. Makes sense, makes perfect sense. Tanha is that attachment. Upadana is bringing them together. Right? Bringing those components together. So if this is tanha and this is tanha, upadana is bringing them together. Bhava is putting them together. Jati is now you have a pen. That is the energy I can offer you. That is what, this is what the mind does. So whenever the mind is in this dependent origination process of jati, not suffering anymore, jati, wherever, whenever you look at someone, you, 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 you try and place them into a box. Are they Sinhalese or are they Tamils? Is he a Muslim? Is he a Hindu? Are they my type or are they somebody else's type? Are they humans? See? <laughs> These are the questions that come to mind. If you saw an alien, you'd say, they're, they're another type, you're another type. Again, because of upadana, bhava and jati. Why? Because the mind is always looking for that separation. Because the mind thinks this separation is so pleasurable. And it is. Because whatever you think is pleasurable, is pleasurable, is it not? I mean, what, how else can you, what is the, you know, what is the anatomy of pleasure? First, you've got to think it's pleasurable. Then you've got to vex for it. Then you've got to wait it to happen. And when it happens, you are relieved from vexation. There is no true pleasure in anything. The same goes for jati. The same goes for separation. So, the, so separation can only bring you pleasure if you believe that separation brings you pleasure. If the mind believes that. So when the mind believes that separation brings it, brings it pleasure, when the mind believes that separation brings it pleasure, it goes into vexation expecting separation. But in comes rupa. Not separation. What comes? Rupa comes. Avidya samudaya rupa, samudaya tanha samudaya rupa, samudaya karma samudaya rupa, samudaya ahara samudaya rupa, samudaya nibbatilakana rupa samudaya. See, rupa is an instance or a manifestation of causes. Only a manifestation came in to the, through the mind, not separation. What does the mind want? Separation. What's come in? <laughs> a manifestation. So, now the mind wants separation, but what's come in is manifestation. Therefore, the mind goes into vexation. Then rupan rupattaya. This is what happens next. Attempting. <clears throat> An attempt to identify with the rupa. You know, what I mean by this word identify... What's the time now, sorry? Okay. The attempt to identify is the attempt to separate. I need you to interpret these words carefully. Because we are, we are using a language that was not invented to, to preach this Dhamma. So, now I, I sometimes will say words to you, assuming that you understand it exactly how I understand it. But that is, that is unfair for me to expect that you interpret them in the same way that I do. So, therefore, I'm going to give you a new glossary. Okay? Some of these words we need to reinterpret so that we can use them to communicate the, the Buddha's teaching. So, what do I mean by identify? What I mean by identify is this separation. Right? When you identify yourself, you, give, you say things, don't you? 
I am so and so, I am such and such and so on. In other words, when you, you know, when, when you do that, what are you doing really? You are separating an entity from others. When you say, my name is Sam, what you are saying is, of all the people in this world, I am the Sam. Isn't that what you are saying? I am that Sam. Which Sam? This Sam. I am this Sam. You know, really, when you say, I am Sam, what you're really saying is, I am this Sam. That's what you're really saying, although you don't say the word this. I am this Sam. Someone else says, I'm also Sam. All right, good to know the other Sam. But who's this? This is this Sam. <coughs> this is this Sam. So then we have all sorts of things, like, I have, you know, I am, so I'm, I'm 25 years of, years of age. I'm tall. I'm dark. I have long hair. All of these things are used to identify. Identification is separation. You can think of them as almost being synonymous. So when you identify with Rupa, I'm talking about a process that happens in the mind. Identification with Rupa is trying to separate Rupa because that is what the mind wishes now. The mind has this ignorance that separation is pleasurable. But along comes Rupa, which is a manifestation, and the mind is not content with, with manifestation. It needs to experience that separation. What is separation? It's a feeling you're going through right now. What you feel right now. As you see this object, you see the pen, and you see a separate pen, don't you? Is it just a pen you see right now? Is it just a pen you see? No, you see a what pen? A separate pen. To say a separate pen, do I need to show you another pen? No, no, no. It is separate from everything else in the background, is it not? See, this pen is a separate pen. Separate from everything else. That is what I'm talking about. That is the separation that you experience. And when you experience that separation, you need to give it an identity. That is what we do with identities. When you present your identity card, you're saying, this is, this is me. Nobody else is this. This is me. Prove your identity. Yeah, Because you, your mind goes into this Natasha mode, insanity mode, wanting to experience this separation. It conjures up a, a separate entity. But along came Rupa. And so then Rupan Rupattaya. Through a Rupa, the mind attempts to create a separate entity. Now the mind is able to play tricks on itself. Unfortunately. So the mind goes into insanity and through... Because only it's only a mind that can actually go insane, right? You think the pen can go insane? No. Insanity is only a feature of the mind. Only the mind can go insane. Unfortunately. That is what's going on right now. As the mind goes insane, it, it, be, it begins to believe things that don't really exist. This is delusion. Delusion is the, is, is the source of an illusion. You see that illusion of a self. Deluded, you see an illusion. An illusion is like... It's like a hologram. You, see, you, you are deluded and therefore you see an illusion. The delusion is ignorance. That is moha. But moha is not the self. Out of moha, a sense of self is born. That is the illusion. So if delusion is the magician... Illusion is the trick. Yeah? So if ignorance or abhisankara is the, is, is the moha or is the, is the delusion, then jati is the trick. 
and that trick is played on itself. And the moment that happens, now the mind perceives separation. And when mind perceives separation, that is like wearing those clouded glasses. And now, no matter what object you put in front of it, it will always see it as a separate object. Because separation is now the name of the game. It will always see separation. So, let's come back to this consciousness and see what's going on here. Sight and I were simply the product of a, a blob of energy, a vipaka. And out of that, sight and I was born. To report that that had happened, the consciousness was born. You know, in Sinhalese you say the vimak vanima is a chitta. What is the vima? It's an occurrence. The chitta's job is to report an occurrence. What is the occurrence? This. So you see the occurrence. The occurrence of coming into fruition of a vipaka. That is what the occurrence is. That, I mean, that is how the world is born. The whole world is a product of... Yes, we'll go to the Niyama Dharmas later, but for the time being, the, the whole world is an occurrence of this. Because in your world, you know, it is always this. You know, sight and I, if we, only when sight and I comes into contact can the chitta be born, right? So this occurrence is now reported. This is like an informant. It informs. This informant report, reports, oh, hello, something's just happened. What's just happened? That is now the process. Now do you see why the chitta is a process of first receiving and then registering and then recognizing and then responding and finally perceiving? Because that is what a good reporter should do. If you take out any of those roles, you can no longer function as a reporter. See, first you have to receive. Receive what? This occurrence. Then you have to register it. Yes, it has happened. Now you have to recognize what has just happened. Now you have to respond to what has just happened. And finally, out of all this, you perceive what has just happened. Though the, whole, the full report has been, has been typed up. Now you have the report. This is what a chitta does. However, all this takes place on a platform of ignorance. And that ignorance is the separation. When that ignorance is, is present, when ignorance prevails, the need for separation prevails. Okay? And when the need for separation prevails, the chitta, in its effort, in its, in its attempt to experience that separation, it starts to work on the rupa that has just come in. So that rupa has come in in various forms. Rupa, rupa, sabda, rupa, ganda, rasa, sparsha, rupa, dhamma, rupa, and so on. It starts to work on that rupa. And also it starts to work on the Vedana, which is the registration. It also starts to work on the Sanya, which is the recognition, and the Sankara, and the Vijnana. Because the Chitta is the five of them as it processes. Because the Chitta is a process, it's not a thing, right? The Chitta is a process, it's like cooking. Is cooking a thing? So it's certainly not a thing these days, you take away, right? <laughs> but it's not a thing, it's a process. Is washing a thing? No, washing is a process. Eating is a process. Like that, thinking is a process. It's not a thing. Therefore, the chitta, although we refer to it as a chitta, uh, like a thing, it's not really a thing. It's a process. Okay? And when that process, that process is formed of those five, five steps. These are sub-processes of that, of that entire process. So when, these, when this process carries on, on this platform of ignorance, it's always trying to identify with the self, identify with separation. 
So Chitta is a process, and because it happens on the, on a platform of ignorance, now it is attempting to separate, or actually sense this separation that you that you sense right now. So therefore, Rupa Rupataya, Vedana Vedanataya, Sanya Sanyataya, Sankara Sankarataya, Vinyana Vinyanataya, Sankatang Abhisankaranti. So this Sankatang Abhisankaranti can be interpreted in two ways. One is Sankata is the Rupa itself and you do Abhisankara on the Rupa or the other way is you are trying to create this separation which is the Sankata and the process that is required to experience that separation is being done on the Rupa. Just imagine just imagine you, you know, just imagine a devil right? it's, it's, it's looking for little kids to eat. Okay? So the devil's waiting until a kid comes along. As soon as it, it sees a kid, what does it do? It catches it and eats it, swallows it. Okay, so that is what the devil does. In, in, this, in that same way, the mind, when it goes into this, when is it? When it is ignorant, it's waiting for a rupa to come along. That is why you can't keep your eyes shut for very long. Can you? That is why you have to see something all the time. That is why when I if, I, if I did an experiment and said, you know, for the next two and a half hours, let's say on one Saturday morning you come in and I say, okay, for the next two and a half hours I just want to keep your eyes shut. And you can't sleep though. You have to keep your eyes shut and stay like that for two and a half hours. Do you think that's going to be easy or do you think it's going to be very difficult? No, I don't mean that staying up and not falling asleep part. That will probably be quite easy. What I'm saying is, trying to keep your eyes closed with no inputs going in. Imagine being locked into in a dark room. Isn't this why being locked in a dark room is a punishment? Because the chitta is always looking for separation. And... In its, uh, now, even, even, even darkness is also separation. You can still separate darkness. Because even, even if the eye is closed, you still see darkness, right? There's no sight, but you see darkness. Close your eyes for a second. See, now you see darkness. You actually see darkness. You're seeing darkness. Okay? So, you can open your eyes now. Oof. So, when you see darkness... Right? That darkness is perceived as darkness. Yeah? But the, 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 the mind already has this, this drushti that it is nice to see color, it's nice to see, it's nice to see shapes, right? it's nice to see patterns, it's nice to see people, it's nice to see a smile. Right? So the mind already has these, these preconceptions because it separates darkness from light. That's why. It separates straight lines from wavy lines. Out of that separation comes, therefore, the, the follow-on need for, I have likes and dislikes. There can never be likes and dislikes if you don't separate. Yeah, For there to be likes and dislikes, one has to be better than the other. In other words, they are separate things. So now, this is why you can't keep your eyes closed. This is why if you are put into a dark room, and sealed airtight, no sound, your hands, your arms were tight, so you couldn't even clap to make some noise, right? And all you could hear was the sound of your breathing. Just imagine if you were also made deaf. So now you can't hear any anything at all. You can't see anything at all. 
People go insane, don't they? Locked up in a dark room, people go insane, don't they? When they go insane, just think about why is it they go insane? Why insane? Why don't they just let pick up pneumonia or something? Why insane? Insanity because it's the mind that has now gone into deep vexation and the mind now wishes to experience that separation. It wants to, it wants to see things, it wants to hear things, so therefore the mind goes insane. In going into insanity, now they begin to see things and hear things that you and I don't. See, take a crazy person, take a crazy person, an actually crazy person, you see them sometimes doing things, saying things, right? Talking to people that don't, that, that are not there. And how did Natasha's mother go insane? She wanted Natasha terribly badly, right? In that, in that deep desire, that deep need, the mind creates its own version of it. This is what the mind does. The mind is such a powerful tool. You use it wrongly, it can, it can cause so much destruction. It can make believe things that don't actually exist. Think about this for a second. You know, think about sensuality for a moment. What we call karma. Where does it exist? Hmm? How is it, dear ladies and gentlemen, that when you see your daughter, you don't feel that, but her to-be husband or her partner, her boyfriend, sees that. Your child, who you who 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 you brought up, right? You know, right from day zero to what, eighteen years of age. Right? Not a day passed when you didn't see her. She was always there. But for all the seeing that you've done with her, you know, you washed her, you washed her bottom, and you dressed her, you fed her, you did everything. But never did you see even the tiniest bit of karma, right? You never saw that. But you've seen absolutely all of her. But you never see the, saw the karma. But show her to a boy who only sees her face, not the rest of it, hmm? for a brief moment. And what does he see? Karma. For 18 long years, you never saw it in your daughter. But how does this boy see it in a fraction of a second? It is not in it, is it? It's not in her. If it was, then the mother and the father should have seen it first. They had her for 18 years. See? So how do you see karma then? How do you see sensuality? How do you, because you, it's not something you see, it's actually something you perceive. Because when the mind goes insane, it creates it. So have pity and have mercy on yourselves, dear ladies and gentlemen. Jump on this wagon. Let the sasana heal you. You create sensuality in your own mind. It is a creation. It is a creation when the mind wants sensuality, when the mind wants separation, when the mind goes into a deep state of desiring. It creates sensuality and then it projects it onto the rupa because it is the rupa that has just come into the mind. When you see your daughter, you see something like this. When a boy sees your daughter, same, same sight, but this rupa in the mind on a platform of ignorance, right? On a platform of ignorance. Now for you, 
Now, of course, there is the more subtle varieties of karma, because just the fact that you see your daughter is also karma. Not in that way, uh, not in a sensual, let's say, sexual way, but in a more, you know, there's a being there. Right? You know that sense, right? The, 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 the sentientness, okay? the, the beingness. If you, the fact that you see that is also part of karma. Let's say it's raga, okay? just, to, just so you know the distinction here. Right? Because on a platform of ignorance is, what, is, is how it happens for you as well. That is why if someone attacks, your, attacks a child, it doesn't hurt you that much, but attack your child, and now you are, you are ferocious. You, know, you, go, you go into a fury. So, so on a platform of ignorance, you see your daughter, but you don't see that type of karma. But to another mind, to another a boy, right, a, a guy who wishes to be with your daughter, they'll look at that, and now that rupa, the same rupa, because it wants to, because that mind wants to experience that, that separation, and and it wants to experience that that sensuality. It projects that sensuality onto the rupa that has just come into the mind. And now it thinks that if it is in this rupa, then it has to be out there. So therefore, that mind wishes to be with that rupa. Wishes to be with that person. Because it sees a person, and then it sees a beautiful person. And then it has sensuality. So a sensual person. That's why, you know, I always keep, you know, and Guru Hamdur always says, he keeps saying as well, you know, out there in this world, you know, it's, it's, it's a bunch of lunatics. People are mad, really. And, and, you know, I'm not, you know, that is the truth, that is the honest truth. People are mad. They really are mad. Because they see sensuality. They see enemies. Right? This is madness, madam. Because yeah, because of Ragadeshama and Moha, yeah. All because of ignorance. You know, the mind is capable of, of creating this this is the illusion that the mind can create. Because once you start doing magic, there's no end to it, right? If you can if you can if you can if you can trick someone to see a pigeon out of a handkerchief, now you can make that person see a tiger out of the pigeon. And then, and then a buffalo out of the tiger, right? And then a, a, a chimpanzee out of out of the out of the buffalo, and so on and so on and so on. There's no end to it because once strict, always strict, forever strict. Strict is strict. You know how many lies can you tell? If you can say one, you can say an infinite number of lies. But the truth is always one. There's always only one truth, but an infinite number of lies. That's why when you create an illusion, you can create absolutely anything. Tell me, are all your dreams the same? Hmm? When you see dreams, are they all the same? No, they are so vivid, aren't they? But when you wake up, is it not always the same? Huh? The same faces, the same ceiling, the same house, the same bed. Right? But when you go into a dream world, it's always a different story. Because in an illusionary world, you can create all sorts of things. That's why there's no limit to lunacy. There's no limit to lunacy. You can go infinitely insane. What we are trying to do here in the sasana is to cure that insanity. 
So if you are someone who, who still experiences sensuality, you need help. You need help. If you are someone who still sees their daughter or their son, you need help, I'm afraid. If you are someone who still sees your husband and you think that your husband is special, there's, there's belonging, you know, belonging. See, jati. If you see husband jati and if you see wife jati, Meaning, the, the matter and the energy that has gone into that arrangement, you give it, you, you, you cover it. You, you, you put a cover on it. You, you box it. You label it. Right? And you identify it. You separate it as my husband, my wife and so on. You need help. That help only the sasana can give. So that is why I go back to what I, where I started. Right? The sasana is for all. Whether you're lay or your, or your clergy, right? The sasana is the sasana because sasana is here to cleanse the mind. It is not to, it's not to, it's not to heal a monk or a lay person. It's to heal the mind from this insanity. That's why I, I, I urge you, whatever your excuses are, whatever your reasons are for not jumping on that conveyor belt, right? do whatever you can to try and find a way out of it. To, to come on. Because you are the product of your circumstances. When I, when I hold this up, you cannot not see this duster. You are helpless. Therefore, when you are surrounded by ignoble association, hmm, when people around you start talking about fixed entities, when they start talking about the, the, the nice film that has just come out, or the latest album that you have to listen to, or that new restaurant you have to go and you have to you have to eat, or or how your child is so and so, and how your wife is so and so, and and you and all these things in the in this sensual world, right? You can't not become a victim of that. You're helpless because your your mind is the is is the victim of circumstances. It is a product of circumstances. That is why Kalyanamitra Association is so vital. You, I, I, can't, I, I can't think of a way how, how the sasana can be done without that. Truth be told, I can't think of a way how the sasana can be done without that. Constant feeding of noble association. You know, you must have to be drip-fed it. Drip-fed it. You know, it's not like you can, you can eat today and then come back another week and eat. That's not. It's like how you give the IV. Right? You drip-feed it. A little bit, all the time. That's how this works. That is the best way to read the benefits of the sasana. Little bit, all the time. Consistently. Not a lot, one time. A lot, one time can help you become a sotapanna. But from there on, from there on, right to, to becoming an arahant, what you need is a little bit, all the time. To become a sotapanna, one sermon is enough. To see the truth. Do your merits. Acquire merits. Accumulate merits. Come and listen to a sermon, you can become a sotapanna. But from there on, there's a pratipada, which, which, is, which is a practice. That practice is, you know, how do you learn to ride a bike? Ride it once every two weeks? Hmm? No, you've got to ride it every day. A little bit every day. You don't have to ride it 24-7. Not every hour of every day. A little bit every day. How did you take driving lessons? A little bit every day. Not 10 hours one day, 
and then another 10 hours in three weeks' time. That's not how you become a good driver. In the same way, ladies and gentlemen, to become a saint, you have to practice a little bit every day. How do you learn a language? A little bit every day. How did you grow up to become this size from when you were young? Hmm? A little bit every day. You can't just go have a, have a feast, right? Maybe go to a buffet and fill your stuff yourself and expect to be, what, six foot <laughs> if you are only three. It doesn't happen like that. A little bit every day is what's got you this far in everything. What is cool? A little bit every day. Consistency is what you need. So a little bit every day. That is what we do in the sasana. A little bit every day. Every day we, we start at four o'clock in the morning. We have the, the Nyaya discussions. We do the Buddha Puja. We go and meet our teachers. We get some advice from a little bit. Just a little bit every day. But every day. And, you know, on this path it might take us 30 years, maybe 40, to achieve our ultimate goal. So if it's going to take us 40 at this rate, fill in the blanks. A little bit every day. You guys are good. You do a little bit every week. I mean, it's better than a little bit every poetry. Right? I, I admire that. I, I honestly do. But I want you to do more. Right? And if you can, for your sake, please, do more. Do more to save yourselves. A little bit every day is what makes that difference. Not a lot at once. How do you become healthy? You go to the gym and do workout a little bit every day. You can't go to the gym and break your back lifting you know, 300 pounds at one go. That just breaks your back. How do you become unhealthy? Have a, have a high calorie, high sugar <laughs> chocolate every day. Now what happens? You become unhealthy. One cigarette won't kill. In fact, 20 cigarettes at one, at one point won't kill you. But have one every day, that kills. So that is why the Anagarika Mahatmas are here. Because they want to do a little bit every day. And that is why you should also be here. As a Sravakas or Sravikas, right? You know, you can, if you can do more, then do more. Do the best you can. Because when you do the best you can is when a little bit more will open up for you. That's always how it works. Do the best you can, a little bit more will open up for you. You can only see as far as you go. I'll repeat that. You can only see as far as you go. So if you, can't, if you want to see further, what must you do? Go further. Then you'll see further. Don't expect to be here and see the end. It doesn't work like that. Go further. Then you'll see the next step. And then take that step. And then you'll see the next step. And take that step. And then see the next step. There are men and women who've walked and who are you know, well along on the journey before you and ahead of you. So you, you, know, you see, their, you, you see their, their silhouette. You can see them from where you are. So you know, you, this is not... You know, if, if you came here when we first started the monastery, things might have been different. 
right? Perhaps you were taking, you would have, you could have told yourself, I'm taking a, you know, a, a blind leap of faith. Will this work out? Will this not? But, you know, now we are, what, 400 strong. What blind leap of faith must you take now? There's plenty and ample evidence that this works. Now, we're not all mad. 400 people can't be wrong, can we? So, at the end of the day, you know, your life has to be precious to you. <clears throat> it's your responsibility to free this chitta, this mind. I can't free it on your behalf. You have to do that for yourself. So I speak to the people on listening to this sermon online as well, wherever you might be. Whether you're in China or America or in Canada or in Zimbabwe or wherever you might be, wherever you are listening to this sermon. Right? If you have the ability, if you have the opportunity, if you have the merits that can, that can free you up to make this journey, then take that jump, come forth. There's nothing to lose and everything to gain. Remember, there's, there's nothing to lose because there's nothing to let go. Is there? There's nothing to let go. All you realize is, there's nothing to let go because I wasn't holding on to anything. It was just an illusion. When you wake up from your dream, okay, if you wake up from a nightmare, or, or just a dream for that matter, you know, what have you let go? Imagine in your dream, you know, you're with someone you really, really like. Okay? You're, you're with your dead mother, your dead grandmother, in your dream. In your dream, you see your dead grandmother. If someone comes and says, hello, wake up, it's time to go to school. Hmm? <laughs> if, you, if you go, if you, if you are sad and disappointed and really upset and you know, you start crying, oh, why did you wake me up? I was with my grandmother. You need help. That is how people are when we ask them to come to the sasana. I can't let go of my mother. I can't let go of my father. I can't let go of my boyfriend and my girlfriend. What will happen to them if I come? Come and see what will happen to them. Nothing has happened to them. They're all doing just fine. <laughs> what they were doing with you, now they're doing with somebody else. You're not the only fish in the sea. There are plenty of fish where they came from, right? But but when we feel that you know we are God, we are we are I am me. When you feel I am me, you feel that I am so important to everybody. Because you fall you fall victim to what people tell you. You know when someone comes and says to you, "You are everything in my life." Don't buy that. This is not the first time they've said that, <laughs> and it is it is not going to be the last time they're saying that. Ask us, we'll tell you. Speak to every man or woman in this monastery who's come having had an affair or having been in a relationship, having been in a marital relationship, right? Anyone and everyone who's come here, ask them, you know, if the other party didn't come along, then they're doing just fine. They'll tell you, I'm going to go jump in the train, I'm going to go jump into the ocean, I'm going to go and commit suicide. No. They want to make you feel special. Don't, don't buy that. Don't take that nonsense. 
Because, uh, you know, after all, who's going to do it for you? Who's going to be there for you? You know, it's not, when people say, I'm always going to be there for you, never leave me, then I, I, I tell them, if you're saying so, then don't die. Because when you do, you're going to break your promise. I mean, this is a separation that, not that separation, this separation, the departing, is inevitably going to happen, right? So, what difference does it make whether we depart now or in five years' time? Hmm? At least you can tell them, you know, I want to go and get some practice. Because you're going to die or I'm going to die, and when that happens, you know, the two of us, the two of us, we might become distraught and really, you know, we will go insane. So, you know, why don't we get some practice? So that the, the remaining partner can at least live with some sanity after the other partner has died. So let's go and get some practice. <laughs> I mean, there are all sorts of stories you can say if you really want to. My point being, you know, whether you say that I want to be a provider for the sasana, even that I say, you know, our, uh, what we should try and do is to get other people on board. When you, when you come into the sasana, try and bring three or four more people who can support the sasana. Because they will also eventually jump on that. That's how this works. It's like the gods that create the abode before they go there. We create the sasana, the conventional sasana, before we come here. That's how we do. So your task is not to always be a lay supporter, a lay benefactor. That is not what we want from you. You need to jump. You need to come on board. But as you do, bring others along. And we don't do it because we need someone to support us. We do it because we know that is how the sasana works. If you carry the weight of the sasana, the sasana will carry your weight. You give and you get. That's the way it works. We were all supporters of the sasana throughout our journey in sansara. That is how today the sasana supports us. Right? And that's all of you. Support the sasana today. The sasana will bear you, will support you. And as you do so, you know, bring others to help. Talk to your friends. This is not an appeal for support. Don't get me wrong. What I'm trying to explain to you is, this is how the sasana works. We build it and then we jump on and we bring some more to build it so that they can jump on. And then as they do, they'll bring others to build it so that they can jump on. That's the way it works. It's the way it's always worked. That's the way it's worked from the moment we came here and to this day. So, the long and short of all that is, your task as lay followers or disciples of the Buddha is not to always remain lay followers and disciples of the Buddha. If you honestly and genuinely have duties and responsibilities and you're coming here into the sasana as a sila, sravaka, sravika, whatever, is going to really impact and it's going to, you know, topple the world, right? And, and the whole, you know, there's going to be a cataclysmic destruction the world over, right? And you know, houses are going to go up in fire, and the, and wildfires are going to spread rampantly, right? And the whole world is going to go into chaos, right? Then fair enough, stay at home, <laughs> don't come, right? But, but if if that is not so, and you're still able to make use of whatever life you have left in you, right? Make use of that usefully, put it to good use, because you know one thing for sure. That is the only way in which you can actually get something back for you. Every other thing is just a waste of time. 
Every other thing is just a waste of time. You will just continue to carry on making vipaka and they will come back to you and you just keep on recycling this karmic cycle. That's all it is. There's no stop. It's just another page turned, another chapter, and you'll just carry on, carry on, keep carrying on. And unfortunately, we've done more bad than good in our time in sansara. Even to forget the previous births, just think about this birth. We've done more bad than good. If you shouted at someone, right, out of anger, that was lots of bad. If you, were, you, know, if you, if you hit someone, attacked someone, took something that belonged to someone without their permission, that was all bad. If you hurt, you know, if you hurt someone, that was all bad. There's more bad than good to talk about us. So they're all waiting for their turn. So they're all waiting in a queue. And when it comes, there's no running at that moment. So the only way to run from them, they say, you know, there's, you can run but you can't hide. Hmm? You heard that saying? There's, you can run but you can't hide. You can keep running by changing the environment. But you can't hide for as long as you're here. For as long as here, it will come when it comes. The only way to hide, and truly hide, is to disappear. Because when you disappear, Ragadvesha and Moha will be freed. And at that moment, this Vipaka, they will all be dispersed. Because you will no longer be God to them. You will no longer have the sense of belonging to them. It will just be, you will be one with nature. So I urge you to reconsider some of the plans, goals, dreams that you might have set for yourselves right? and make every effort to fulfill your purpose as a human being. Another Buddha Sasana may never come your way. I mean, we can make our minds up saying, you know, there's always going to be another Buddha Sasana. How many Buddha Sasanas have we come past by now? You know, our Buddha, he came past 500,000 Buddhas. So what do you think we were doing in that time? Hmm? We were also there in Sansar. And another Buddha is now on our doorstep. But not for very long. His time is going to go, and along with that your time. Two and a half thousand years is not how long the Buddha's asana will survive. How long will it survive? Absolutely. Your lifetime. Because when it's gone, it's gone. It will be there for the people you leave behind, but not for you. There is no substitute for heedfulness. Absolutely none. There is no substitute for heedfulness. There is no substitute for earnestness. So no one can do it for you. You've got to do it yourself. So I invite all of you to reconsider your lives. How do you want to live the rest of your lives? And if you have a chance, and we've created every chance here, and we've not done it all by ourselves, you know, we've all done it. You're all, you're all you know, parts of this big puzzle, this, this, big, this big organization. You're all part of it. Each and every one of you have contributed to that. My ask, you, ask of you is, don't consider yourself to be, you don't have to be the another Pindika. Let someone else do that. Right? If you ever feel that I have to be the chief benefactor of the Buddha Sasana, let someone else do that. Because if that is their paramita, they will do that, no matter how many times <laughs> we, talk, we, we ask them to come. But let yours be one of coming into the Sasana and fulfilling that journey.
here and out there as well. All right, that's it for me for today. Let us take a moment then to transfer all the mates that we have acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, listening to the Dhamma and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching and with immense gratitude towards the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us transfer these merits to all of them and may they all rejoice in these merits. Let us also remind ourselves that amongst them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin come rain or shine. Let us also transfer these maids to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us also transfer these maids to my teacher, Guru Swami Nuhanse, as well as all the monks resident at the monastery and the Anagarika and Anagarika communities attached to the monastery. Let us also take a moment to transfer these maids to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by translating these talks, sharing them out with others, or inviting others to join them. And may, by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to our devotees and friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits to help them attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana, continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who provide for the construction of the monastery to those who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who continue to support with their know-how and extend their well wishes. May by the power of these merits they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome their, any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer this maze to our mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our friends, our acquaintances, employers and employees, our teachers, and to all those who have helped us, supported us, and assisted us in any way, shape or form, and by the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they also all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to the devas and the brahmas, the spirits and the demons, primarily the Sakka Deva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who have committed themselves to the preservation and the protection of the Sambhuddha Sasana and fulfilling the Sambhuddha Sasana. Let us also transfer these maids to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may, by the power of these maids, they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer these maids. To those who make great sacrifices to protect the peace, peace and harmony of our nation, this includes the members of the armed forces as well as the police force, let us also transfer these merits to all those who have lost their lives in the war, be their friend or foe, may they all rejoice in these merits. 
Let us also transfer these merits to those who have lost their lives through natural disasters, tsunamis, earthquakes, landslides, forest fires, blizzards, pandemics and so on, reminding ourselves that this infinitely long journey of sansara, they will all have been mothers and fathers to us, brothers and sisters who are sons and daughters, supporters, people who would have helped us, supported us and assisted us in any way, shape or form. May they all rejoice in these merits. If any, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us all resolve that by the power and blessings of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may you and I, and everyone who's helped make this program a success, Become an Arahatan Mahanse or an Arahataranin Mahanse in this very life itself and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha himself. Sadhu, Sadhu, Sadhu. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all. The members of the Mahasangha will now transfer their blessings to you. Raga <coughs> Vishakinva Nibbana parana sukhayan Sukhita tara vetnva Mamada siyalu loka siyalu satnvayo Nibbana parana sukhayan Sukhita tara vetnva Nibbana parana sukhayan Sukhita tara vetnva Nibbana parana sukhayan Sukhita tara vetnva Raga Gini Veva Desha Gini Veva Moha Gini Veva Nivan Satalabeva Nivan Satalabeva Tunuange Suisi Ananta Mahaguna Belen, Silu Loka Silu Satyoma, Nibana Paramasukain, Sukhita Sadu, Sadu, Sadu.